Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. Matthew 13, 38, Jesus said, the field is the world. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to have you turn to some other verses in a few moments. But Jesus said, the field is the world, the whole world. I'm thankful today that your pastor has a, has a heart for the world, not just, uh, not just this part of it, but for the whole world. You know, if you think about it, that's not natural. Uh, it, it is, it's not natural for us to care about people that we don't know. Um, that's the love of God, the love of Christ flowing through us. If we care about people we don't know, we've never met. It's natural for us to love those that love us, right, to love our family, it would be natural for your pastor to say, I've got a great burden for Moses Lake, and this is my city, and, and, or even Washington State, this is, this is where I'm from, and, uh, and, and you know, I, I love my city, I love my people, I love, I love this area, and he does, and, I'm, and, and he should, and I'm thankful that, that your pastor and his wife have a, have a burden for you, but to love people that you don't know, you've never met, that you do, you, you're not like them at all, you don't speak the same language, you've never been to their country, that's God, that's God love, loving through us. And, and in order to be like Jesus, we have to have that kind of a love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And if we're going to have the love of Christ flowing through us, it's not going to be just for those that are around us. Now, so I'm thankful that your pastor has a heart for the world. But how do we develop a heart for the world? I want to talk with you for a few minutes today about how to develop this heart for the world. Maybe you, you might say, well, you know, um, uh, preacher, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't really have a, a heart for the world, a heart for the whole world. Let's talk about it for a few minutes. Number one, I think there are four simple things that we need to have in order to develop a heart for the world, and all of them found, of course, biblically. Number one, we have to have a vision. Uh, Jesus said we have to look. We have to look. Uh, in John 4, 35, Jesus said to his disciples, lift up your eyes and look. On the fields, they're white. Or open your Bible to Matthew chapter nine, if you would, please. We'll turn there in just a moment. But 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 in John four thirty five, Jesus said, uh, "Lift up your eyes and look. Look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. I want you to see the fields." Jesus told his disciples. He wanted them to have a heart for the world. Look at the field. Look at the world. Look at the look at those around us. Now, he, in order to to do this, we have to be willing to to, to deliberately slow down during our busy day and our busy life. And take the time to look. Vision is the beginning place of being used of God. We're never going to be used of God in a great way as a church or as individuals until we have a vision. We've got to take the time to look. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Lamentation 351, uh, the author said, mine eye affected my heart. When you can get your, and that's the purpose of this mission emphasis and conference. Whenever you get your, when we can get our eyes off of ourselves and onto the world, we can begin this process of developing a heart that cares about more than just my family. Uh, the emphasis, the, the tendency is for us to just be concerned about ourselves. But when we get all our eyes off our problems, off of our problem, on my family and, and, and my problems and, and my situation, we can begin to see the needs of those around us. I wish I could take you with me to some of the countries that, that, that my wife and I work in. I wish you could go with me to some of, some of the places where, where, where we're at. Um, there are countries in the 1040 region of the world, what we call the 1040 window. We talked about it a few moments ago in the video. Um, there are countries there where people literally, 
They are born, they live their entire lives, they die, and they go to hell without ever meeting a Christian, never even seeing one. I was preaching in another state not long ago, and, and um, I had just come back from Indonesia, and it was a, it was a missions conference, and there was a, a man there who was going to start a church here in America, a church planning missionary, and, and, and all of us are for that. I've started three churches. God has allowed us to start three churches, and, and all of them are still going today, and, 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 and I love them all, and thank God for, for, for the way he blessed. And you're, This is a church, plan, church planning pastor you have, started this church almost 10 years ago, and he and his wife, and, and, and I'm for it. We, need it. we need it in America. We need more churches in America, but I want to give you this illustration. The, uh, the past, uh, I, w- I was going to be preaching in a few minutes, but he had a, the pastor had a, um, a, 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 a man come up and give a testimony who was a church planning missionary here in the States. And so here's what he said. He said, um, he said I'm going to such and such a city, name the city. And uh, he said, now, he said, in our city, we have one million people. By the way, I think we have maybe six or seven uh, cities in all of America that have a million or more population. In China alone, we have like 160, where, where my wife and I have been living the last few years. So we've got, we've got six or seven, maybe nine. Uh, I forget now exactly how many, less than 10, though. Cities in all of America that have, uh, that have a million or, or more population. He was going to one of these cities. And here's what he said. He said, uh, he said uh, now in our city where I'm going, he said, we have, uh, we have 10 uh, Independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James Bible. He went through all the list of things. He said uh, that, that we, would, we would acknowledge, you know, we, we would believe. He said we have, we have 10 independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James preaching, soul-winning, separated churches in this city already. He said we will be number 11, plan number 11. And he said, now, wait a minute. He said before you, he said, before you, you think, well, what, why do we need a, a, another church, church there when we have 10 already? He said, wait a minute, do the math, do the math. He said... Uh, there's a million people in this city. That, that means we have 10 now. That means one independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James Baptist, soul-winning, separated church for every 100,000 people. Do the math. He said you can, you can go from the first one and go 100,000 people before you get the second independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, uh, King James preaching, soul-winning, separated Baptist church. We need another one. And by the way, he was right. We do. I'm for it. Uh, in fact, at the end of that conference, uh, as we were leaving, I, I slipped him some money and, 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 and said, hey, I want to help you personally. And, 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 and the, the church that I used to pastor, uh, he went on from there. I recommended him. He went to there. They support him. I'm for it. I'm not being critical of it. But let me tell you what I was thinking. I had just come back from Jakarta, Indonesia, over 10 million people. As he was talking about you can drive 100, uh, through, by 100,000 people before you meet the next Independent, Bible-believing, King James, soul-winning, Baptist church. Here's what I was thinking. I was thinking a couple of days ago I was in Jakarta. You can drive for, for, for days to over for 10 million people. You'll never see anything except the mosque. You see no, you see no Buddhist temples. You see no crosses. You see no churches. All you see is mosque after mosque after mosque in that great city. Uh, in India, you can drive for days. All you're going to see is Hindu temples. In Thailand, Laos, Burma, Sri Lanka, you can drive for days. All you're going to see is, is, Buddhist, uh, is, is perhaps Buddhist uh, temples. China, the, the country that I've been in for the last several years, 
You can drive. Uh, our city has, has, has 11 million people. <laughs> and, and you can drive through our city. You see no religious buildings of any kind. You don't see a Muslim mosque. You don't see a Buddhist temple. You don't see a church. You don't see a, You see nothing. Now, I, I'm, for, I'm for this particular area where, where, where my friend was going. But I'm simply trying to say, if we could somehow understand the needs around the world, we're never going to understand it until we first look. We've got to get our eyes off of ourselves and realize that there's a world out there that, that, that are waiting for the gospel, and, and there's nobody there to help them. First thing we have to do is look. Jesus said, number one, look. He said, number two, he said, when you look, I want you to pray. Look again at Matthew chapter 9, continuing from Mark chapter, from, from the passage where he said, lift up your eyes and look. Like in Matthew chapter 9 now in verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. When we look, we see that great harvest. We see so few labors. And then he said, pray. That's the second thing. Number one, we look. That look, when we begin to see the needs and, and the missions conference comes through and we see the slides and we, see, and we hear the stories, we begin, to, we, we begin burdened, so we begin to pray. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth labors into his harvest. The first thing we do is, is look, and then we begin to pray. Now what did Jesus say to do? Pray. What did he say to pray? He said pray that we would send forth more labors into the harvest. Uh, the answer to our lack of labors is not more money. We're, I'm for money, but that's not, what, that's not what it's all about. It's about more laborers. The answer is more laborers. Pray that God would send forth more people out into the harvest fields, that we would be able to see people going to, 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 uh, to, the, to the ends of the earth to reach people with the gospel. Miracles happen as a result of prayer. People are saved as a result of prayer. Prodigals come back home as a result of prayer. Marriages are healed as a result of prayer. Lives are changed as a result of prayer. And situations that are impossible, they become possible through prayer. God answers prayer. God changes things through prayer. Your church is a result of prayer. I guarantee you, before, before your pastor and his wife came here to start this church, they were praying. And others, no doubt, were praying as well. I wouldn't be surprised at all that, that pastor in, these de in this last decade has met, somebody, has met somebody who said, I was praying that someone would come here to start a church. I'm sure about it. I mean, I, I, it's happened to me. It's happened to me every time I've started a church. That somewhere along the line, I'm knocking on a door somewhere or somebody's showing up and saying, well, you know, I've been praying that God would send somebody, send somebody here. Things happen as a result of prayer. Prayer changes things. Now, look, your church is a testimony to prayer. Prayer changes things around the world. But I'm going to say one thing to, about that. We have often heard that statement, prayer changes things, right? But I want you to know that not only does prayer change things, prayer changes you. Prayer changes you. One night this week, I told you about being up in the, in the central highlands of Vietnam in a village. And uh, the Filipino missionary had taken me there, just kind of review here. The Filipino missionary had taken me up there, and he would, he would go there every few months and uh, never had a problem. So he takes me up to this village, and, and uh, we go into this, this, this place in the village. And, and, and all of a sudden, people are coming in, and they're, they're gathering around, and they're speaking uh, they're speaking Vietnamese very intensely. The Filipino missionary spoke Vietnamese. Of course, I don't. And so they're talking. I don't know what they're talking about. I just know that it's intense, whatever it is. And so after a while, he turns and he looks at me. And here's what he said. He said these exact words. Pastor, we have a problem. 
I said, okay, what, what's the problem? And then he pointed at me and he said, you, you are the problem. The police have surrounded the building, want to know why you're here. And, uh, you know, we were praying. We were praying. And God worked it all out. It turned out to be a Romans 8.28 kind of a thing. But, here, but here, here's the point I want you to see. That changed me. Prayer changed the situation. And that, as a result, and, and as, a, as a result of the fact that, that, that the American was there, they actually sent the, the head of the police department out. And so the top cop for that whole area, that province came. And uh, our people were outside uh, talking with them and, and calming down, diffusing the situation. And this, this police officer says, said to, to our people, he said, he said, what is wrong with you people? Do you think we don't know what you're doing? We know that you're having church in here. We know that you do this regularly. Why don't you come down to the police station and register like you're supposed to and be legal instead of doing what you're doing? Why do you have to, be, why do you have to, why do you have to try to hide everything? And our guy says to this top cop, he said, look, we have been to your police station. We have asked. We, we, we're not trying to be illegal. We're not trying to hide. We're, we, we want, we want to, to cooperate with you. But our people have been there. We've, they've asked if we can have permission to meet in this building, and your officers won't give us the time of day. They won't talk to us. He said, you, bring, you, you come see me. I'll take care of you. They did. They gave him permission to meet there, and, uh, and, our, and, our, and my ministry built them a building. And so now they, they meet there legally and have a building. They turned out Romans 8, 28 kind of thing. But, 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 but that changed me. It helped me to realize that how insignificant I am, how, how little God needs me. It is a privilege that God would allow me to do anything for him. It also, it also helped me to understand why, why this thing of, of, of using national pastors was so important. This Filipino missionary that would go there every two or three months, he, 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 he's not Vietnamese, but he's close enough. He's a lot closer to looking to Vietnamese than me. And in fact, I was preaching in a Filipino church in San Diego not long ago, and there was a Vietnamese man there who was married to a Filipina. And so I had met him before, and, 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 I, and I had him stand next to me. And I had the people look at him, the Filipino. Here's, here's the Filipinos looking at him. Here's me. Here's the Vietnamese man. Here's the Filipino man. And I said, can you tell which one of us is not? Is, you know, I, mean, we, we kinda, I kind of stand out here. The importance of prayer will change you. Prayer changes the situation, but it also changes you. It changes your heart. As you begin to look and as you begin to pray, God gets a hold of your heart and begins to change you. And then as you begin to, as you see the need and you begin to pray, we come to that third word that Jesus gave us, and that is to give. It causes you to be willing to give. Give, Jesus said, shall be given unto you. The reason that we, we, we are willing to give to a, to a situation like this, to, a, to, to a, mission, a missions conference to try to help send out missionaries, is because we've seen it. And we begin to pray. God burdens our heart. Now, the beginning place of Christian giving is tithing. Tithing is bringing 10% off the top of our income back to God. We take the first 10%, we bring it back to God. I've had people say to me in 40 years of pastoring, I've had people say, I've had them say it all over the world, Pastor, we, we do not believe in tithing. 
We believe that tithing is an Old Testament practice that was for the Jewish people. It was under the Jewish law, and we're not under the law. We're under grace, and so uh, under grace, we don't tithe. We don't tithe. We don't believe in it. Well, can I just say this to you? I don't doubt the sincerity of people who say that. I don't think that they're selfish, that they're, they're just trying to keep from giving. I, I, I think that they're just confused. I think they're just mistaken. I don't think that's accurate. I believe that tithing is incumbent upon me and upon you and upon us today under grace. I understand we're not under the law. I get it. We're not under the law. I, I, I know that. We're under grace, totally of grace. But I still believe that God wants us to tithe. Now, I also believe this. I believe that, that if a preacher is going to tell you you should tithe or what, whatever it might be, he, he should be able to show it to you from the Bible. Would you agree? I don't think we just get up and say, hey, I, don't, I don't care what other people say. I think you should tithe, therefore tithe. Let me give you just very quickly this morning why I believe that tithing is still incumbent upon us today under grace, even though they tithe under the law as well. Let me give you just, I'm just going to go through these quickly, uh, and I'll give you the verses, I'll give you the reference, and then you can, you can jot them down if you want, if you want to look, look them up later. But let me give you just four or five thoughts. Number one. Why would we still tithe today? Why do I believe tithing is not an Old Testament law that was done away with at the cross? Number one, Abraham tithed 400 years before there was such a thing as the law of Moses. Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, verses 14 through 18, uh, I'm sorry, verses 18 through 20, the Bible records a story of, of, of Abraham coming back from, a, from a, uh, a battle. There was a man there by the name of Melchizedek, type of Christ, and Abraham tithed every, uh, 10% of everything that he, that he got from those spoils to Melchizedek. So Abraham brings 10% of the spoils, and he gives it to Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. There's no Moses. There's going to be 400 years before Moses shows up. There's no law of Moses. It's Abraham tithing. Abraham then taught his descendants to tithe. We go from Abraham. Who, who's Abraham's son? What's the lineage? Abraham Isaac, Jacob, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So Abraham has a son named Isaac. The lineage is going through him. Then he has, he has a son named Jacob. Jacob and Esau, you remember the story there, the two sons. So we, time goes by, and all of a sudden Jacob is leaving, and he's going out to, he's running from his brother Esau. He stops at a place called Bethel, the house of God, and he says this, God, if you'll bless me, I'll tithe. I'll return 10%. Now, wait a minute. W why did he say something like that? Why does, why does there's no law. There's no, there's no Moses. There's no written law that says you have to tithe. But Abraham tithes 400 years before Moses. Abraham obviously taught it to Isaac, and Isaac taught it to Jacob. Otherwise, Jacob, how would Jacob know? So Jacob says to God, I'm going to tithe. If you'll bless me, I'll return 10% of everything you give to me. And so Abraham taught his descendants to tithe, and he keeps on going down line, line after line. 430 years later, 430 years have gone by, and now Moses is on the scene. Moses then takes and incorporates tithing into the law. Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30. Here's what Moses said, Leviticus 27 30. All the tithe of the land is holy, it is the Lord's. All the tithe of the land is, is, is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. 
Why did Moses say that? Because they'd been tithing for hundreds of years. It didn't start with Moses. By the way, Moses did not say this. Check out Leviticus 27.30. He doesn't say this. Folks, got an announcement. Everybody listen up. We've got a brand new law we're going to start. We're going to start bringing 10% of our income back to God. Brand new. Uh, but now, from now on, it's going to be holy. He didn't say that. He said the tithe of the land is the Lord's. It is holy under the Lord. It always had been. It does not start, begin, start with Moses. We go by another 1,000 years. A 1,000 years goes by. And the people of God have stopped tithing. Malachi comes on the scene. And here's what Malachi says. Malachi chapter 3, he says, hey, folks, bring those tithes back to the Lord. You've stopped tithing. As a result of them stopping the tithing, when Malachi and Haggai and the different, different uh, minor prophets there in that time frame, the people have stopped tithing, and now the, the, the work of God is underfunded, and so the people, the, the priests have gone back to the fields, and they're not doing what God had called them to do in, in the temple of God. And so, or in, or in, in, in the work of God. So, so Malachi, God raises up Malachi, and he says, folks, bring the tithes back. God will bless you. Bring the tithes in the Lord. Now, did you know the Bible never says give your tithe? It says bring your tithe. God's very careful about this. He doesn't say, Malachi, hey, folks, give your tithe. He says, folks, bring your tithe. Why do I bring it? It's not mine to give. It's God's. I'm just bringing it back. Bring your tithe. 400 more years goes by. Folks, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just biblically incorrect to say that tithing starts, with Moses, starts and ends with Moses. I mean, 400 years before Moses, Abraham's tithing. Uh, then 1,000 years later, Malachi, after Moses, Malachi is saying, let's bring those tithes back. And then 400 years goes by and Jesus shows up. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and in Luke chapter 11 and verse 42, he said, Woe unto you Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and rue, and all manner of herbs. You pass over judgment and the love of God. So these they're still tithing 400 years later. They, got, they figured it out. They got it. They're tithing. But they're passing over the more important things. They're tithing specifically and, and strictly they're tithing. But he, Jesus said, but you left, out, you left out the love of God. You left out righteousness and judgment. Now listen to what he says, Luke eleven forty two. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. Jesus commended them for tithing. He said, you Pharisees missed a whole bunch of it. You, you messed up on a lot of things. The one thing you got right was tithing. But that's not the most important part. You missed righteousness. You missed judgment. You missed the love of God. Can I say to you today, I understand that the most important part about my relationship with God is not money. I got it. I get it. <laughs> I mean, God is much more, important, much more concerned about my heart and my love than he is my tithe. He doesn't need my tithe. I get it. My wife and I have been married for 48 years. The most important part about our relationship is not money. It's our love for each other, our commitment to each other. It's not money. But to say that money is not important is just silly. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it, I would say stupid, but I'm, my, my church members told me I'm not allowed to say stupid anymore because 
their kids think it's a cuss word. And so when I was pastoring, every time I'd say, this is stupid, they'd say, oh, pastor, don't, 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 don't say that word. My, my kid's not allowed to say that. So it, it's silly. I mean, can you imagine, imagine, you, I come home to my wife, and, and my wife says, sweetheart, you know, we, we need some money for groceries. I said, oh, much money for you and me, baby. It's nothing. I know, honey, but, but you know, the, we need to pay the rent. We need groceries. And I say, come give, come give Papa a hug. Mama Bear, come give Papa Bear a big hug. <laughs> I love you. We don't need money. Let's not even talk about it. Yeah. And she's looking at me saying, uh, okay, I love you too, but, you know, the groceries, the rent, the bills. I mean, how, how foolish would this be? And so for us to come into a church situation and say, well, you know, we just, we just come here to love Jesus. <laughs> And I, me too, <laughs> me too. But to say that money has no place here, of course it does. God set this thing up and said, tithing is the beginning place of Christian stewardship. Now that's where you start. You bring that 10% back to me. I can say, getting saved, I was, did not get saved, I was 20 years old. I dropped out of school when I was 16, joined the army at 17, went to Vietnam at 18. Spent two tours in Vietnam with 75th Rangers and then came back and got saved. For many years, I, I, when I pastored in Southern California, we had a psychiatrist and a couple of psychologists in our church, and uh, I became very close with all of them. I think maybe they had ulterior motives for befriending me. But, but one day, I was talking to my psychiatrist friend, and I, I love saying that. I was talking to my psychiatrist the other day. You know, <laughs> but <laughs> I was talking to this psychiatrist that I pastored, and we were having lunch, and we were talking about Vietnam. He's a Vietnam vet as well. Of course, he was, he was a psychiatrist. He, he's, a, he, he's smart. You know, he's flying the B-52s. I'm down on the ground, you know. And, uh, uh, and so he said, you know, Pastor, when you go to Vietnam once, you're patriotic. When you go twice, you have issues. <laughs> I said, yeah, I, I think I still do, uh, Dr. Dorsey, but, but, uh, but you're helping me with them. But... but um, so I come back from, from Vietnam, I get saved. I'm 20 years old. Now, at the age of 20, I hear about tithing. I was working, I was still in the Army, but at night I was working at a gas station. And so this gas station, I'd, come, I'd work there at night, and then every Friday we would get paid. And, uh, and it was, uh, you know, it's back in the dark ages, they just barely had gas back in those days, you know. And... Uh, the, uh, the we, we didn't have minimum wage, we didn't have that kind of stuff. It was just it was it was eighty dollars a week. That was my my, my pay. And uh, so every every Friday night, my boss would give me four twenty dollar bills. He never gave me eight tens. He never gave me anything else. Just four twenties, always cash. Looking back at it now, I'm not sure why, but anyway, he always gave me cash. So. I get saved on Wednesday night. The following Friday, I get paid because I'm working at the gas station at night. My boss gives me four $20 bills. I come home on Friday night. I was stationed at Fort Ord. I only had a few months left in the, in the military before I got out, and so 
Fort Ord's 30 miles from Watsonville, California, where my parents lived, and so I was able to just drive home at night and, and, uh, and, and stay at my, my parents' house. Just waiting to get out of the military, there was nothing left for me to do, just wait to get out. So I didn't go down, go there during the day and hang around and do nothing and then come back at night, work at the gas station, go home. I'm, I'm sitting there at the house. I walk in, it's late Friday night. I got paid, it's probably about 11.30, 11, 11 or so. My dad was still up. And I walk in and, and my dad had been saved now by this time and my, my mom and, and I had been saved, just got saved a week or so, week before. And I sit down in, in, the, in the living room and I pull my four $20 bills out and I, I'm looking at these things and thinking what I'm gonna do with this 80 bucks that I've got. And my dad looked at me and here's what he said. He said, son, he said, you know, uh, 10% of that belongs to the church. Now, his theology was a little incorrect, but, but his heart was right. 10% of it didn't belong to the church. 10% belonged to God to be given through the church. But, you know, he, was, he, was, he, he, did, he said, 10% 10, 10 belongs to the church. I said, yeah, <laughs> sure it does, Dad. I'm looking at this. And he said, I thought he was joking. I'd never heard of this. My parents didn't tithe when I was a kid. We weren't even saved. And now all of a sudden, I'm, I'm just freshly back from Vietnam. I, I, got, I got a job, and, and I've, I just got saved, and I've got my 80 bucks. And, and my dad says, 10% of that belongs to the church. I thought, he, he's kidding around. I said, of course it does, Dad. He said, no, son, I'm, I'm serious. I looked at him. I said, really? I said, 10% belongs to the church? He said, yeah. He said, yeah, 10% of everything you make now that you save, you need to give that to the church. Again, his theology is a little off, but, but, but he was right about it. it belongs to God. We give it to the church. And so I said, Dad, I said, do, do you do that? Your mom do that? He said, yeah, son, we do that. I said, you didn't do that when we were I said, we weren't, we weren't Christians when you were growing up, son. But he said, 10% belongs to the church. I said, wow. That Sunday, I got my eight bucks out, got their eight bucks that I thought belonged to the church, actually belonged to God. And drop it in the offering plate. That was September of 1970. This past September was 50 years. You know something? 10% belongs to the church. Belongs to God, given to the church. I've ne I never stopped tithing. Amen. Just kept tithing. I mean, I, I didn't know why. I did it then because my dad said to. I was a new Christian. He said it belongs to God. Now... I understand the biblical reasons for it. Now I understand the Bible teaching on it. My wife and I got married and 48 years ago now, and almost 49, and we, we kept tithing. We just never stopped. We went off to Springfield, Missouri to go to college, went to a missions conference at High Street Baptist Church, and we heard about Faith Promise Missions. We learned that God wants us to give a tithe, or, or I'm sorry, give over and above the tithe, an offering. We had the privilege of giving to missions. And so back in Bible college, we made a commitment to start giving over and above the tithe to missions. We didn't have much. But we gave, we gave a little every week to, to, to missions. Every year then, we've continued just to increase it, increase it. Um, I taught, I started the Dayat Singing Gumpsung Kaoi in Hong Kong. Everybody speak Cantonese? Anybody not speak Cantonese? Okay. Thayat Singing Gamsang Gao, First Bible Baptist Church. 
We taught, I taught in the first Bible Baptist church to give to missions over and above their tithe. By the way, that church supports my ministry now, 35 years later. Um, Chinese church, they give to missions. We just had a missions conference in Laos. We taught the Laotian churches to give to missions, tithe and give to missions. Why? It's biblical. There's nothing. You say, well, look, those people are poor. We were poor when we got married. I mean, there's nothing. There's no verse in the Bible that says once you reach a certain income, you should give to missions. Now, giving to missions, giving over and above the tithe, gives us an opportunity to show our love to God. God will bless us for doing it. Second um, Corinthians chapter eight talks about this, and I think Pastor was going to mention this uh, some tonight, and so I'm not I'm not going to take the time to go there. But I can just tell you this, when, when this card, when we fill out this card, there's no place for your name on this card. Nobody's going to know but you and God if you fill this card out or not. And I want you to know you are loved here. Um, you're not going to become a second-class member if you don't give to missions. It's your choice. The tithe God commands us to do, bring the tithe. The missions giving, God gives us the opportunity to express our love. Second Corinthians chapter 9 says that, that when we do, we're expressing our love. We're proving the sincerity of our love. You know, love, talk is cheap, right? I can say to my wife, I love you. But when I give to her, the old saying is still true. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. We must give if we love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I can no longer love my grandchildren and not give, give to them. I, 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 I can't. If I love, I have to give. And so we give. Why? To help get the gospel around the world. Four simple words here. Number one, we have to look. When we look and see that need, we begin to pray. Number three, when we begin to pray, we begin to give. Because we say, I want to do something besides prayer. I want to look. You can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until after you've prayed. And so we see, we give, that we begin to pray, that causes us to give. Number four, last word, go. Jesus said, I want you to look. When you look, I want you to begin to pray. That prayer will cause you to give. When you pray and you give, and you're looking, you say, you know what? I got to go. I got to do something about it myself. Not just send these other missionaries around the world. I need to do something. There are five commands in the New Testament to go. There are none to stay. So often we say, well, I just don't feel called. I, 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 forgive me for this, but I wonder how often we, we disobey a specific command with the excuse of, I don't feel called. Give me your phone number, I'll call you. I mean, I don't feel called. God said go. You don't have to, you don't, look, you need to be called if you're going to leave and go across, across the world somewhere, perhaps. I'm not even sure you need to be called to do that. But I'll, I'll give you that one, okay? 
I'm not sure I was called. I think I was. I probably was. God's blessed. But I had a command to go. My wife and I left. I resigned the church that I was at for 25 years. The church we love. The most difficult thing I've ever done. We left that church and we went. We moved over to China. We started this, 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 this uh, uh, ministry that we're talking about. We, we support now about 68 different national pastors in 17 different countries. Um, you say, were you called? I, I think so, but I know I was commanded. I know God said go. And so we go. Now, you may not be called to go across the world, but, but I guarantee you you're called to go to your neighbor, right? We're called to go to, to our family. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, that's your city. You're called to Moses Lake. You're commanded to, to witness to those that you come in contact with. Preach the gospel to every creature, Jesus said. So what are you doing about these four words? God says, I want you to, I want you to look. Get your eyes off yourself for a little while. Thank God for this conference where we can get our eyes off of ourselves and begin to look and see the need. When we see the need, that compels us to, to pray. You mean 86% of Buddhists, Muslims, and Hindus will never meet a Christian? Yeah, I mean that. 86%. They don't even know what a Christian looks like. They've never heard the gospel. 86% of them will... will, will People will be born, they will live, they will die, never hear the word Jesus ever spoken. Never. We look at that, we begin to pray and say, Lord, that's just not right. Recently, my life was changed by, by a, a statement. <laughs> and, and very rarely can you say that. You know, at least for me, my life doesn't get changed over and over and over again, you know. It just doesn't. But I read a statement, and literally, I, I can't get it off my heart. I can't get it off my mind. I think about it in the middle of the night sometimes. Here's what it is. There's only one thing worse than being lost. And that's being lost and having no one searching for you. Can you imagine? You're out in some village somewhere. You're lost. You're lost. Your children are lost. Parents are lost. Your grandkids are lost. You're lost. You're going to go to hell. And there's literally no one coming to help you. There's nobody coming. There's nobody looking for you. If you're lost, and if you die and go to hell, it doesn't matter where you live before you went to hell, right? If you go to hell from Moses Lake, you're still, you're still in hell. But at least in Moses Lake, I guarantee you, there's a church looking for you. There's somebody praying for you. There's somebody searching for you. There's somebody wanting to reach you. There's a church here, this one, that wants to reach people. But if you're in Bangladesh, very, very little odds anybody's looking for you. You'll just live your whole entire, whole entire life and go to hell. There's only one thing worse than being lost, and that's to be lost and having no one searching for you. So... What are you going to do about it? Time to fill out the card 
today or tonight or whenever you fill it out. You don't have to fill it out. You're still loved. The following Sunday, things go on as normal. There's still a missions program at this church, even though you're not involved. But you lose the opportunity to reach out to somebody and say, God, I love you, and I want to help somebody. I want to help somebody for whom Jesus died. My Savior died for them. I want to give an opportunity to hear the gospel. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.